so yeah, we're, we're excited by that. We're excited to be uh, getting into this. Uh, and as I, as I put in, um, in the message I went out on WhatsApp, what we're looking at here is Jesus, Jesus in his own words. Now, a few weeks ago, um, a few guys from our life group went for a walk around Heart Village together. Now, I know there's a few people not from Hartlepool here. Heart Village is not far from here. Um, we just drove up, uh, parked, parked outside church and just did a short like, walk, a couple of hours. And it was broadly speaking a success, I, I would say. The, we didn't get particularly lost, which from my point of view is a miracle. I normally get lost before I've started a walk. In fact, that's the point where I most often get lost. I cannot find the beginning of the walk. And so I end up not knowing where we're meant to start from. And so therefore we're lost before we even begin. But we didn't, we didn't get lost, mainly because Sarah was navigating rather than me. Uh, and so, so we didn't get lost and we had perfectly acceptable weather. And, and I know that for some of you, the idea of going for a walk is like, why would I do that? Like I could be sitting and instead I'm walking. I understand that. But, but in my family, we quite like walking. And I think we like walking because we like talking so much. And so, so walking is just an opportunity to, to kind of talk with, with different people. Uh, and so we love the opportunity it gives us to just chat to people as we're walking. Now on this particular walk, my, um, my kids were absolutely fascinated and committed to learning as much about the backstories of superheroes as they possibly could. So, so fortunately, we had the walking encyclopedia of um, superheroes that is Matt Appleyard on this walk. Um, and so, so I'm not sure how much he enjoyed it, but my kids absolutely loved just naming superheroes and telling us, tell us his origin story, tell us where he came from, tell us, tell us all about him. And they literally just went through everyone they could think of and just asked Matt to tell them uh, their backstories. Uh, and as we've continued as a family with this obsession with origin stories, uh, we, we, we watched, uh, this week we watched Iron Man, uh, the, the first of the kind of Marvel, new, new kind of Marvel films that came out, I don't know when it was, 15 years ago, maybe something like that. Uh, and that, that literally deals with an origin story, it deals with how does a billionaire called Tony Stark to turn from a billionaire arms dealer into a billionaire superhero. And the story is basically concerned with that question. How did Iron Man become Iron Man? How did he become the person that he was? And that's why origin stories are so interesting. Um, I think it was maybe just a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with my sister and she was saying, like, she doesn't really like superhero things, but she quite likes the origin bit. Like that's the important, that's the interesting bit. How did they become that? How did they become that person? And, and it's interesting because it allows us to answer the question, who is the person behind the mask? Who is this person? We see them doing certain things. We see them acting in a certain way, but actually, who are they? What made them that way? What made them kind of act in that way and think that way? What makes them do the things they do? What are they merely like and why are they like it? Now, now this series, what we're trying to do is to do a similar thing in the way we think about Jesus. It's to, it's to ask ourselves a question who is Jesus? Like, like, actually, when you get behind the stories that you've heard about him and all the things, actually, who, who is he? How do we understand who he is and, and what kind of motivates and what drives him? And, and this is basically going to be a Jesus in his own words kind of series. We're going to look at how does Jesus talk about himself? How does Jesus describe himself? And you might think that that doesn't sound like that difficult a question, but actually it's really hard to, to answer that question. And the reason it's so hard is because there's so much noise around us. 
if you were to do a, a quick Google search or browse the religious section of, of any bookshop, you will find loads and loads of books and articles that are all kind of exploring that question of who is the real Jesus? The Jesus you never knew. Jesus as you've never thought about him before. You'll find like tons of that kind of stuff. And, and we're surrounded by all these kind of ideas we have about who Jesus is. So when you think of Jesus, you probably have, you probably have an image in your mind. Now, whether that image has anything to do with what Jesus actually looked like, I have no idea. But it's kind of unavoidable because you're constantly, you've seen lots of images of Jesus. And so that impacts you. You've, you've had a whole load of kind of ideas about Jesus. You know, you'll have had a whole load of things that will have impacted the way that you think about, about Jesus. Whether it's songs that you sang, whether it's what you learned in Sunday school, whether it's the way that you've just always thought about him. You see, it's really hard to see who actually is Jesus because we all bring a whole heap of baggage. It's sort of unavoidable. We bring our own associations with the name Jesus. And so seeing him for who he really is is actually surprisingly difficult. But difficult though it is, we're going to give it a go. And the way we're going to give it a go is we're going to start by looking at the words of Jesus. What does, how does Jesus describe himself? Now, now, in one of the Gospels, um, the, the Gospel of John, so Gospels are just the biographies of Jesus' life written by people who uh, followed him or who um, talked to people who did follow him. Uh, and so, so in John, you get, you get these collections of kind of speeches of Jesus where he describes himself in certain ways. And he says, I am this, I am this. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks, we're just going to look at uh, six of those things that Jesus says about himself. And we're going to try and unpack, okay, what do we learn about who Jesus is from that? Like cutting back from whatever we thought going into it, what do we actually learn about who Jesus is? So this week we're going to be in John 6, verse 25 to 58. So if you have a Bible, it would not do you any harm to have it open. Um, so uh, John 6, um, and we're going to read Jesus' words. Um, now, in order to understand the section that we're, we're going to read, it's worth just understanding where we are in the story of Jesus. So Jesus has begun his ministry. People have... Um, He's become very popular. People are following him all around wherever he goes. He's just done a, a kind of famous miracle. Um, if you've been around Sunday school or church, in some ways you might have heard of it. It's um, the, the feeding of the 5,000. So he's just done this miracle. He's taken hardly any food and he's fed a whole ton of people with it. Uh, and, and so he's done that and then he's moved on to somewhere else. But the crowds just follow him. They, they just follow him. They want to hear more from him. They want to hear what else has he got to say. So the crowds go with him. Uh, and and go to kind of hear what he's got to say and um, and and we pick up uh, just as the crowds have found him on the other side of of the lake so um john 6 verse 25 let me read it to you when they found him on the other side of the lake so that's the crowd so when the crowd find him on the other side of the lake they ask him rabbi when did you get here so rabbi is just a word uh, for teacher uh, the way the jewish people would, would uh, refer to teacher so they're just saying teacher when did you get here and Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, what, was me, what, what must we do to do the works God requires. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall, not, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Je Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourself, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, what do all those words mean? There's a lot of them. Um, let, let's, let, let's, let's start at the beginning. Now, as with all good backstories, um, to start at the beginning, we actually have to go back quite a long way. So we have to go back centuries before Jesus is born. Because the story begins with a nation of slaves. Uh, a family ha had settled in Egypt uh, and they'd settled there, they'd made their home there. And that family had grown and grown over, over many years. And they'd grown to such an extent that the Egyptians viewed them as a threat. They looked at them and thought, there's loads of them now uh, and they're not quite like us. Uh, and so they started to, to view them as a threat. And in order to deal with that threat, the Egyptians enslaved them and they used them as forced labor. Now, now, that's where the story starts, this nation of slaves. And this nation of slaves cry out to God. They cry out to their gods. And God hears their cry and he raises up a leader. Now, this leader goes to the Egyptians and, and he demands that the people are released from their slavery. But each time he demands this, it's refused. So God himself intervenes. He, he, he acts to bring about the rescue. He himself fights against the Egyptians. And eventually the Egyptians agree to let his people go. And the people then flee in search of their own land, a land that God has promised them. 
But on the journey, they are faced with the wilderness and the desert. Loads of people, no food, no water. And they think they're going to die. They are there with nothing to eat, knowing that actually, unless they find something to eat, their escape will have been in vain. But then, again, God miraculously intervenes and bread falls from the skies for them to eat. And where there would have been death, instead there was life. And so God sustained his people through the wilderness until eventually they could find a land of their own. Now, now that story is the great story of salvation and rescue for the Jewish people. That was the moment where God came to them and he rescued them. The moment where he gave them laws and he made them a people and a nation. He, the moment where he gave them a land of their own. The, the Jewish people existed because of that story. And that story was the, the heartbeat of that culture. It, it was like Christmas and Independence Day all rolled into one. It was the story of where the nation came from and also the story of God's great act of rescue all brought together. Everyone in Israel knew that story. And Jesus was born as a Jew. It's a crucial part of Jesus' story. It's the backdrop of who he is and the way that he um, is understood. You cannot really understand who Jesus is without understanding the story of his culture. So you fast forward 1300 years and you have that scene that we've just read there. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd and he's just done one of his most famous miracles. He's fed thousands of people with next to no foods. And so in some ways at this point, he is at the peak of his popularity. You know, people are flocking to hear him speak. Wherever he goes, they follow. And, and in, in sort of classic Jesus way, he seems not that impressed by that. So, so whereas we easily get carried away by a crowd, we, we love a crowd, Jesus is, is not that impressed. And his verdict is that the people are following him simply because he's just fed them. In, in Jesus' kind of summation of the people, the crowd are the equivalent of Rizzo the Rat. They are here for the food. But Jesus warns them. He, he says, don't be so focused on what you eat and drink, but rather be concerned about the food which, which endures to eternal life. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't be so bothered about the kind of food that fills your stomach. Be bothered about the food that will sustain you to eternal life. So they ask, well, what is this bread that can sustain us to eternal life? What is this bread that will endure? What, what work do we have to do in order to, to, to have that bread? And Jesus says, well, the, the work is simple. You, you have to believe in the one who God sent. They say, well, okay, just give us a sign. Give, give us a sign. Show us that you are the one that God has sent. And then we will believe in you like you're asking us to. They say, well, God provided bread from heaven for, for them to eat for their ancestors. What, what is Jesus going to give them? What's the equivalent thing that Jesus is going to do? Now, 
I've got to be honest, this seems like a slightly odd thing to be saying to the person who's just fed thousands of people with some bread and fish. It seems like maybe that was the equivalent thing. But anyway, it, it seems like an odd question to be asking. But that's what they, what they say. To which Jesus replies, you've entirely misunderstood. The bread, the bread that your ancestors ate that kept them alive in the wilderness, that was always pointing forward to something else. That, that wasn't the true bread from heaven. That was just a symbol of it. Well, what your ancestors ate in the wilderness, that wasn't bread from heaven. Bread from heaven is what they have in front of them right now. And they say, great, if we've got it here, just give it to us. That, that sounds amazing. And he responds by saying, I am that bread. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. So, so I just want you to have that, to understand the context of what Jesus is saying when he's saying he's the bread of life. He is not, he doesn't have in mind when he's saying that, you know, a, a bag of Hovis or, you know, other bread products are available. You know, whatever, whatever your bread product of choice is, he doesn't have that in mind when he's saying he's the bread of life. Now, he has in mind the manna, the, God, the bread that God provided from heaven for the people of Israel, the miraculous bread that rescued God's people, that kept them alive on their journey from slavery to the promised land. That's the bread he has in mind. Jesus is not simply claiming to be good, wholesome food that you can dip in soup. You know, he's rather claiming that he is God's miraculous provision for people who are on their journey from slavery to the promised land. That, that means that when Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life, he's actually making quite profound claims about himself, about who he is, about what he's doing. Now, all I want to do really is pull out maybe one or two things that Jesus is claiming from this. It's not going to be super complicated. It's not going to uh, be super long. A couple of things that Jesus is claiming when he's saying that he is the bread of life. The first thing he means is that he brings life. Because that's why he takes them back to that original bread from heaven, to the manna. Because for the people of Israel, the bread was quite simply the difference between life and death. That's what it was. Without it, they die. With it, they survive. It is literally life and death for them. It was an essential provision for hungry people. That's what the bread was that he has in mind when he's talking about it. And Jesus is saying, I am like that bread. I am the miraculous provision of God from heaven, which can offer you life where otherwise there would have been death. That, that, that's what Jesus is claiming when he says he's the bread of life. And he's actually saying more than that. He's saying, I, I'm like that bread, but I'm an upgraded version of it. Because the people who ate that bread, they still died. So, so if, you think, if you think back to, uh, to the story, yes, those people survived. They ate bread and they survived where, where they would have died. But they all still died. It's not like they ate that bread and then lived forever. They all still died. And actually more than that, the vast majority of them died before they even reached the land that God had promised them. Jesus says, I am bread that's so much better than that bread. Because that bread kept them, kept them alive for a time where they would have died. But actually, they still died. And that bread what didn't have the power to 
complete the journey of slavery to the land that God had promised. Jesus is like that bread, but he makes it completely obvious as he speaks through this. I'm like that bread, but I'm a lot better. You see, the life that this bread offer, uh, offers is life which does not end. It doesn't, the, the bread that Jesus is offering here doesn't merely delay and stave off death like the manna did. No, it completely defeats it. Now, I just want you to pause there because some of you might be thinking, okay, this kind of idea of a thing that can make people live forever. I mean, that's the thing of stories, isn't it? There's so many stories about it. Uh, you know, it's the thing that people are obsessed with in stories, that kind of, ah, oh, the person on the quest for the thing that can make them live forever. I've been, I've been reading through the Harry Potters with, with my kids. If you don't approve of such things, then you're just going to have to forgive me. Um, but, but I've been reading through this, and the first one of those um, deals, with, uh, deals with exactly this, the Philosopher's Stone, the thing that can make its owner live forever. And what I think is fascinating about those stories, whether it's in Harry Potter or Greek mythology or wherever you find it, is there's always some kind of, there's, there's always some profound work and conflict over getting it. Because it's the thing that everyone wants to fight over. Witches and wizards are fighting over, can we get this? Heroes are going on quests to try and earn it. But you need to hear what Jesus says here. Jesus says, this everlasting life that he offers, they say, well, what's the work we have to do to get it? You know, they probably have in mind, I don't know, the 12 labours of Hercules. You know, what is this work that we have to do to get this bread that means that we can live forever? And look at Jesus' words in verse 37. He says, whoever comes to eat of this bread will never be driven away. Whoever comes will never be driven away. This is not some magical potion or mythical prize reserved for the best of heroes or, or the, the kind of the, the, you know, the, the really great people of our time. No, this is available to all people. And the only work that is required is to believe in Jesus. The work is to believe in the one whom God has sent. Now, I don't know how you cope with the idea of rejection in your life. I, I find the idea of rejection really difficult. I, I, I remember times of, of applying for jobs and just finding those kind of, oh, sorry, you didn't get an interview, or even worse, going to the interview and not getting a job. I just found them kind of galling. Like, like I felt kind of like criticised as a person, rejected as who I, as for who I was. And really, it's nothing about that. It's a job. And, you know, some people get it and some people don't. And that's the way the world works. But, but you, you, you can take that rejection personally. Uh, even, even worse than that, that moment where you're starting to consider whether there could be someone who maybe just maybe if things worked out the right way, you could maybe be something a bit more than friends. Um, you know, that moment. And you're thinking about kind of bringing it up, but you're just terrified of what if they say, what if they say no? Uh, when, when Sarah and I got together, so Sarah and I, uh, my, my wife now, we got together, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that. And, um, and I was 17 at the time and, and she was 18. Uh, and, and I've got to be honest, if it had been left to me, 
I probably still wouldn't have plucked up the courage to say, oh, maybe, maybe we should explore something here. Because just the fear of rejection is so great. If they say no, you're just like, what's going on here? Fortunately, you know, Sarah is much braver than me and was able to kind of move the thing going. And ever since then, I've pretty much followed her lead. Um, but, but that fear of rejection can be like a major influence in our life. It can prevent us from doing things. We don't try things because we're, we're, we're scared of being rejected. Now, now, I just want you to hear Jesus' words here. Do not allow a fear of rejection to keep you away from Jesus. Don't allow that to happen. I know how easy it is to allow that fear of being rejected uh, to stop us from doing things that we should do. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you think, man, I could, I could never be good enough for Jesus. Maybe, maybe in your life you've been rejected again and again. Maybe you look at a difficult family life. Maybe you look at difficult relationships. Maybe you found school or the workplace hard. And you just look at a life where you've just been rejected too much. And you just think, I just can't take another rejection. I'm not willing to come to someone. I'm not willing to ask for anything from anyone in case I'm rejected. Don't do that with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've walked too far away from Jesus. Maybe you can look back to a time where you think, yeah, I knew him then and I was following them, but now I'm just nowhere. Never read my Bible, never pray, don't even think about it, I'm not bothered. And you just think, Jesus isn't going to have me back. You must never fear rejection from Jesus because he is the bread of life who brings full and everlasting life for all who believe in him. And he will never turn anyone away. That's what he says. It's there in his own words. He will never reject you. He will always love and accept you. He will always bring life, no matter how dead you feel. He will always bring healing, no matter how broken things might seem. I want you to imagine you're in a desert starving. It's pretty hard for us to imagine that because we're a long way from a desert or starving, but you know, let's, let's give it a go. Imagine you're in a desert starving and there seems to be no hope for you. There's no food anywhere. There doesn't seem to be any hope of any food coming around. And then miraculously bread appears out of nowhere. Falls from, the, falls from the sky, uh, and now there is food. The, the bread has fallen. You are in the desert. You were going to die, but now you are saved, miraculously saved. You celebrate and rejoice. In fact, you're, you're so thrilled that, um, that you, you, you look and, at the bread for a while. You just look at it and just go, well, look at that bread. Isn't that bread amazing? I mean, that is my salvation right there. And as you look at it, you think that is pretty miraculous bread. We, we, should, we should kind of keep that bread and we should, should kind of remember it. Uh, and so you, you, you get a museum together and you get the bread and you put it in the museum there and you get it on your shelves so that each day you can go back and you can look at the bread that miraculously saved you. Uh, and then as you are going to visit the bread and look at it, you die because you haven't done the thing that you needed to do with the bread. You haven't eaten it. You see, bread will only save your life if you eat it. I just want to be clear about this. Its mere existence does nothing. 
bread is of use when it's eaten you are revived and your body is able to continue functioning when you eat the bread just having the bread looking at the bread rejoicing in the bread celebrating the bread remembering the bread none of that does what it needs to do bread is there to be eaten and you need to eat it and and the reason that i just wanted us to get that straight is because that's actually probably what jesus spends almost the entire second half of this section talking about i absolutely love jesus words in this section i just think they're amazing because because he says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood then you cannot have this life and you think uh, gross and and you think and then you think but what does he mean and i love it because the jews going no no but what, what do you mean and he clarifies it by going, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will not have life. And then they go, no, no, but what do you mean? And he says, unless you actually eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you won't be saved. It's like, thanks. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's like this graphic imagery that makes no sense. And every time they ask him to clarify it, he just says the same thing over again. He doesn't give them any clarification from it. He just says, you need to eat it. Like, that's what, that's what you do with bread. And if you don't eat it, then it, it won't do you any good. And the people are, are, are rightly confused by this. And they're even more confused because, because they go, how can he be the bread from heaven? Because he's Joseph's son. We know his dad and his mum. How can Jesus expect us to think that he is bread from heaven and that somehow we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood and then we have life forever? What, what on earth is this all about? But the good news is that Jesus doesn't unpack it here. And the reason he doesn't unpack it here is because he's going to spend the next two years of his ministry unpacking it. Actually, the whole of the rest of his life unpacks what he means by this statement. Because the night before Jesus is crucified, he again takes bread. And this time he takes wine as well. And he says that this bread... Again, he says it symbolizes my flesh. And this wine symbolizes my blood. And then the very next day, we see his body being broken and his blood being spilt as he goes to the cross and takes the suffering and death and judgment of humanity on himself. You see, we feed on his body when we do precisely what he says that we need to do in verse 29, when we believe in him, when we believe in the one who God sent. Because I, I don't know if you noticed, but actually there's two times in this section where the people ask Jesus, how do we get everlasting life? How do we access this, this bread? And he gives them two different answers. One time he says, the only work you need to do is to believe in the one who God has sent and the other time he says the only way is to eat my flesh and drink my blood how can these both be true well the only way they can both be true is if he means the same thing by them both if they're both referring to the same thing we eat jesus flesh and when we accept his broken body into our lives as the only means by which we can be free from our slavery to sin and the death which accompanies it but the point of him saying all of this and him labouring that point of you have to eat it, you have to eat it, you have to eat and drink it. The reason that he labours that so hard is because he wants them to understand you have to act to become beneficiaries of what Jesus has done. 
The bread by itself does you no good if you don't eat it. The same is true of what Jesus does. Jesus comes and he dies and he takes on himself the death that would have been yours. He frees you from your slavery to your nature. He comes to do all those things. He is the bread from heaven that, that achieves the journey from slavery to new promised lands. But he only achieves it if you eat it. He only achieves it if you act to become beneficiaries of it. You see, that's why when Jesus, when Jesus leaves, he leaves us with that kind of graphic remind thing that we're meant to do to remember him. He, he leaves us with, you know, he doesn't leave us with a whole host of kind of ceremonies and traditions that we're to do. He leaves us basically with one. It's what people call communion or Lord's Supper or, or all kinds of names. It's where, we, it's where we take bread and we remember Jesus' body broken. And then we have to, we actually actively go take it and eat it to remind ourselves that we are relying on what Jesus has done. We are feeding on Jesus' death. We are, we are drinking of his blood. That's why he leaves us that image, because we have to not, it not only has to exist, but we also have to go and take it ourselves. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish there. And here's what I, I want you to do. Here's what the section calls on us to do. I want you to feed on Jesus. Jesus' work, Jesus' death is only effectual. It's only effective when we feed on it, when we become beneficiaries and eat of it, when we believe in him and all that he's done. Look, maybe you're here tonight and you've been looking into Jesus for a while. You've been thinking about him. You've been chatting about him with your friends. You've been kind of going through, exploring what's he like you know that's great i'm so pleased that you're here one of the things we were rejoicing in on wednesday night is the number of people we've had in and around grace church who are looking at jesus and exploring who he is and what it could mean I, I, i'm thrilled if that's you but i want to remind you looking at the bread will ultimately not do anything at some point you need to eat it maybe today could be the day you go hey i've looked at jesus enough i've seen how he loves me I've seen the forgiveness he offers and I want that for myself. Maybe today's the day where you go, actually, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to, I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe for others of you, this is a truth that you know. Maybe you just go, I just know. I, I was brought up like this. I've been thinking about this way for a very long time. But maybe you know it. But actually, you, you've, you've just got out of the habit of returning to Jesus to enjoy the forgiveness, the wisdom, the new life he offers. Maybe you've just gone out of the habit of feeding on him, of going back to him day in, day out, of enjoying his forgiveness, of accessing it for yourself again, of enjoying the wisdom he offers and reading his words and hearing him guide you. Jesus is the bread of life. So decide that you're going to feed on him. He died so you could be forgiven. So believe that truth and then ask him for forgiveness. He died so that you could be free. So believe that truth. Listen to what he says. Find the freedom that he offers. Live it out. He died so that you could become part of a new family. The children of God. So believe that truth. Pursue the family he died to bring you into and enjoy that. 
You see, we need to not only know stuff about Jesus, we need to not only see him, we need to actually feed on it. 